since our trainee pastor, as part of his training with us, is preaching tonight, I want this morning to finish our little series, which we've been doing on Sunday evening, on spiritual New Year's resolutions. Uh, we don't want to be looking at New Year's resolutions in February, do we? And we've looked at three so far, and they are based on uh, the classics of devotional literature, which of course is first derived from the Bible. And I've been indebted to Tozer uh, in his writings for these. The first was to kill sin. The second, to magnify God. And the third, which we looked at last week, to love the brethren. And by brethren, we mean our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the fourth and the last resolution is going to be starting with the same letter as last week's L, learn. Do you know what? Learn to be content. Learn contentment. Don't you want to make this your spiritual resolution for 2021? May this be the year that I really go forward in learning this spiritual grace of contentment. Uh, the chapter that we read has the most famous statement of all in the Bible about contentment. So let us read the relevant verses again. Philippians 4, verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. And here it is. Do you know this off by heart? For I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content therein. I learnt it in the authorised version. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound in everything and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. A Puritan many centuries ago wrote a book which has a brilliant title, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Now, Christian contentment was rare in the days of the Puritans, and that was a time of spiritual blessing. How much more so it is rare in the 21st century. Wouldn't you agree? How we need to find this beautiful jewel of Christian contentment. Now, if you look at discontent, which is the opposite of contentment, it's at the root of all sin. Uh, if you think of Lucifer, who became the devil, what caused Lucifer to fall from the perfection of heaven? Wasn't it discontent with his status? When the devil came into this world and tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve. Was it not discontent with what God had provided for him in the Garden of Eden that caused them to disobey the command of God? And ever since the fall, discontentment has spread. Uh, the Garden of Eden 
is, uh, as it were, uh, shut up to us. Paradise has been lost, and we are in the wilderness, and there is this horrible weed in the wilderness of this world. It's like Japanese knotweed. Have you ever had to fight Japanese knotweed? It is so uh, prone to spread, and discontent is like spiritual Japanese knotweed, and it's spread throughout the ages. And I don't have to be a prophet to say that discontent is probably one of the main sins of Western civilization. I wouldn't say it's the sin of poorer countries. Uh, when you meet people, not just Christians, but all sorts of people in other parts of the world, what strikes you is how happy they are. But in the West, uh, this uh, horrible weed of discontents has affected us. And as a result, it's affected uh, the church. Uh, here is what one commentator says. We live in a world that breeds discontents. We are always bombarded with the message that to be happy, we need more things, less wrinkles, better holidays, and fewer troubles. But ultimately, the problem is the sinful human hearts. We are often discontented in our jobs, our marriages, our churches, our homes, in most areas of our lives. Now then, don't you want to make this year a year where we learn contentment and that it spreads to every area of our life? I believe that even if God doesn't give us revival, if there was a revolution of contentment amongst Christians, it would have a powerful effect on the society that we're part of. Uh, that's what you find in the New Testament. Uh, let me mention 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness, Paul says to this young minister, Timothy. Godliness, of course we want to be like God. But what does he go on to say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we are seeking to be godly, that's good. But it's no use unless we're content. Godliness with contentment. Or what about the author to the Hebrews in the last chapter? Let your conduct, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. What's covetousness? Covetousness is greed for things, the cause of discontent. Be content with such things as you have. For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the most famous statement, the one we'll use as our text this morning, Paul saying, I have learnt to be content. Do you know where Paul was writing this from? It wasn't from a Christian conference centre. It was from prison. Now, I can listen to a man who's telling me from his cell, I've learnt the secrets of contentment. In other words, Paul is saying, I found the rare jewel. And do you know where I found it? Not in a palace, but in a prison. And we can find the same things. Now, before we look uh, at this, 
I want to explain two words here which are important. Uh, the first word is the word of the resolution. To be content. What does it mean to be content? Now, contentment isn't something uh, that comes natural. There are some people, and I do envy them, they can go through life with an attitude uh, that gives the impression uh, that their feathers are not ruffled at all. Do, do, do you envy such people? They're so laissez-faire. They're, they're so free in going through life. But that's just their temperaments. And that's not contentment. And actually, their weakness is that they have an attitude which sometimes says that they don't care. That they can just go through life. That's not what we're thinking of when we are thinking of contentment. Neither is contentment, and think of Paul here, as a person who is happy because everything is going well for him. No, no, that's not contentment. This jewel of Christian contentment is something that one finds when things are going wrong. It doesn't matter whether things are going well or whether things are going bad. It's something inside of the person to be content. What does the word mean? The Greek word that Paul uses is the same word that the Stoics used. Who were the Stoics? They were philosophers who said, you've just got to grit your teeth and get through life. Whatever happens to you, it's like the stiff upper lip, isn't it? You've just got to get on with it. You're self-contained. You've got all the resources inside of you that will enable you to face whatever problems life throws at you. That's what the Stoics believed, right? And this word contentment means self-containment. It means self-sufficiency. So what does that mean? It's not gritting your teeth and getting on with it like the Stoics were doing. It's not having the resources in ourselves. It's not because we are self-sufficient. It's because, as Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ that I have the resources. And it doesn't matter whether I'm in prison or whether I'm in a palace. I have Christ with me and I'm contained. It's not dependent on circumstances. It is well with our souls. Uh, let me use this illustration. We didn't have any central heating last Sunday. If you were here, you definitely noticed. Thankfully, uh, the heating is working. So the thermometer will record a higher temperature. Contentment isn't being like a thermometer. The thermometer is recording the temperature around it. And often as Christians, we can be like a thermometer, can't we? If things are going well, we're on a high. If things are not going well, then we're down. Contentment isn't a thermometer. Do you know what contentment is? Contentment is a thermostat. What's a thermostat? The thermostat is constant. If you've got a thermostat in your home, it controls. It doesn't record the temperature around. It controls the temperature. 
And that's what a contented Christian is. A contented Christian, instead of being influenced by what's happening, is in control, is constant. That's what Paul had learnt. And you know what? Just as discontent is contagious, it's like a weed, so contentment is catching. Uh, if you can think of Christians that you've had the privilege of knowing, I can think now of a couple, they've gone to glory, uh, they lived up in Llanna Mawdwy, and they, they, they didn't live in a time of revival, they longed for revival, but they didn't experience it. But they were content. They were content. They had learnt it. And then the second word here, and aren't you grateful for this word? I am. If the great apostle Paul could say, I have learnt to be content. That is so encouraging. You know, <laughs> contentment doesn't just come automatically to us. The moment we are saved, we're not just given contentment. Not even Paul was given contentment. And he had one of the most dramatic conversions experience ever. If the great apostle Paul had to learn contentment, how much more should you and I learn it? And this is why I find it so challenging and encouraging. How do I find this jewel of contentment? It's in the school of Christ. You don't have to go to Bible college to learn contentment. Not that there's anything wrong in going to Bible college. It is something that you learn in the school of the Savior. In all the changing scenes of life. In trouble and in joy. In the ups and the downs. We learn. Either the ups and the downs will drive us further away from Christ or they will draw us closer to Christ. So this is not five easy steps. Have you, have you seen some of those books? They make the spiritual life out to be something simple, something mechanical. All you have to do is follow these five easy steps and then you'll suddenly become content. That's not what Paul is writing about. It is learnt in the school of experience. And Paul had the scars to show for it. It's not an easy lesson to learn. But my, once you've been through it and we don't finish there, it's still to be learnt in the future. It's well worth going through. So let's go this morning to the school of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to go back to school? If you're not willing to go back to school, you are not going to go forward in the school of Christ. We are always disciples, aren't we? So let's come to the school of Christ this morning. It's not just the children who are in Sunday school class. We are in class here this morning. And the lesson is contentment. And I've got two lessons to bring uh, in terms of this resolution of contentment. If you want, you can tie this fourth resolution with the first resolution. The first resolution was to kill sin. So we've got to kill 
the weed of discontentment, right? We've got to kill it. And then, in its place, we want to grow, by the help of the Spirit, the beautiful flower of contentment. Uh, Think of it as a flower or think of it as a jewel. It doesn't matter. So, here we are. What's the first lesson this morning? There are two lessons. Uh, We're COVID away, so we can't spend too long. The first lesson is this. It's called God's providence. God's providence. Let me give you an illustration. This was one of the most powerful things that came to me. Before going to Bible college, I did a four-year part-time course on uh, Christian theology. And we were given an essay. And the essay was Great Providence of Heaven. We had to write about God being in control of everything. And one of the students, we went off on holiday. He was going to write his essay on providence during that holiday. He was a middle-aged man. And a terrible tragedy occurred to them during the holidays. Their young son was killed. And he came back. And it wasn't writing the essay, the student said, that enabled him to learn about God's providence. It was the horrible experience of what he'd been through during that holiday. That had been the lesson for him. Now then, providence. What does uh, providence mean? Um, It comes from two Latin words. It's interesting, this, because you can see how uh, this is uh, is so applicable. Pro, pro, to go before, to go before. And then video, provid, video, to see. Put those two together. God goes before, God sees. And what have you got? Uh, Well, this is what's going to be looked at in the women's meeting on Thursday. The all-knowing God. The all-seeing God. The God who provides. That's providence. What happens to us in life is not a series of random events. It's not just God creating the world and providing salvation for us and then uh, letting us go on our own. The God who plans everything. Uh, There are some lovely illustrations, are there not, in the Old Testament of this. Uh, The most famous is Abraham. After he's been told by God to uh, slay his son, Isaac, and God intervenes, he builds an altar. You have the details in Genesis 22. And he calls the altar Jehovah-Jireh, which means God will provide. Or more literally, God will see to it. God will see to it. That's providence. So how do I learn providence in the school of Christ in terms of contentment? Whatever may be happening to me, I'm saying to myself, God is planning this. God is seeing to it. Another example, also in the book of Genesis, is Joseph. Uh, Joseph, you know Joseph's life story? Oh, he had a roller coaster ride of a life, didn't he? Uh, He became, after his father's favourites, that was an up. He was sold into slavery to Egypt, that was a down. Then in Potiphar's house, he was made uh, a ruler, that was an up. And then he was thrown into prison, that was a down. 
And in the end, he was released from prison and became prime minister. Another up. And throughout all of this, Joseph was content. How? When his brothers came to Egypt during the famine for grain, Joseph shared his secrets. Do you know what he said? Don't worry. This was all part of God's plan. As for you, you thought evil against me to sell me to slavery. But God had his plan and God meant it for good. There's a man who's learned the lesson of contentment in the school of providence. God turning around even the evil schemes of men for our spiritual good. And he says in another place, God did send me before you to preserve life. And Joseph is a type of Christ. Christ, our good shepherd, going before us, going uh, ahead of us. Uh, he is our guide. Uh, we sang, didn't we, wherever he may guide me. Whether it's a prison or a palace, it doesn't matter. No one shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh. His sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. Oh, my friends, I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, are we learning this lesson of God's providence? Not just some head knowledge, not just the doctrine of providence, precious though that may be, but in the school of experience, the God we have is the God who sees, the God who in Christ is our guide, the God who is leading the way. He's already gone ahead of us. He knows what we'll have to go through. The God who has planned it all from eternity. He sees the end from the beginning. The God who has his plan, whatever other plans people may have for us. The God who is using all these things in the mixture in order to make us stronger as Christians. Uh, hadn't Paul learned this lesson when he wrote to the Romans? We know, he said, he'd learned the lesson, you see, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is the master chef. God is the one in baking the cake, which is called a godly Christian with contentment. God is the one who is throwing in all the various ingredients. There are pleasant ingredients, sugar. Uh, there are neutral ingredients, flour. There are ingredients that are horrible in and of themselves, raw eggs. But this God of providence is mixing all those things together in his mysterious way in order to bake a cake. And that cake is delicious. And aren't Christians who have learned the secret of contentment in the school of providence, aren't they Christians who have a beautiful witness? And you and I can be that. So, do we see everything, and I mean everything, that is happening to us as part of our Father's plan? Uh, one person puts it like this, life is not a series of accidents, 
It's a series of appointments. A series of appointments. So whether it's something pleasant, whether it's something painful, what you're asking is this. What has my father got in store for me in this? What does he want me to learn in this? And I actually think it's harder to grow spiritually when things are going well. It's often when things are going badly for us that we're driven to our knees. So that's the first lesson. I must hurry on to the second lesson so that we can be done. So the school of Christ has the lesson of providence, a hard lesson to learn. But I want to encourage you, my Christian brother, my Christian sister, that when you come through the lesson, you can look back and you can say, yes, he did all things well. I may not have felt like that at the time, but Jesus doeth all things well. Now, the second lesson, uh, not just the lesson of God's providence, but the lesson of Christ's power. The lesson of Christ's power. Uh, the key, is it not, verse 13, I can do all things. Now, that sounds at first as Paul is boasting in his own strength. What, what a cocky thing to say. I can do all things. I don't want to know a person who speaks like that. But hang on, he hasn't finished. I can do all things, not in my own strength, but through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a proud thing to say. If it's through the strength of another, that's the language of humility. Through Christ. These appointments are appointments to know Christ better. So life isn't a, an adventure playground. Do you remember those when you were young? You had different obstacles that you had to overcome in your own strength. That's not the Christian life. It's not obstacles, but opportunities. Opportunities to know the power of Christ in me. The opportunity to know, even if it's a thorn in the flesh, which is painful, even when we pray that God would remove the problem and he doesn't, the lesson that we're learning is this. When I am weak, then am I strong. For God says, my grace is made perfect in human weakness. Now, isn't it beautiful this morning? I walked through Heath Park to get here and the trees uh, just covered in snow and the sun just coming through the mist. It was stunning. You know those trees? What you see on the surface isn't what makes the tree strong. What gives the tree its stability is underground. It's the roots. And you can sometimes look at us Christians. We're, we're just a group of ordinary people, aren't we? There is nothing humanly special about us i'm sorry if i'm saying it like that but we're just normal people i'm glad that we are mind <laughs> and people look at us and say well what's so special then <laughs> but the thing is this the contentment the containment the sufficiency is hidden 
the roots. They go deep. We may be looking weak. We may be looking frail. Numbers-wise, we're not that great in comparison to the events of the world. But that doesn't matter. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And on the inside, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, as we'll be hearing tonight. Our roots go deep. Our roots tap into the resources of the Godhead. And if you think of resources then, it is infinite. It's without measure. It's without end. I think that's amazing. How are things with you at the moment? It's hard, isn't it? This lockdown, it's so wearying. When are we ever going to get out of it? Are the churches ever going to be the same again? Are some churches going to survive? Listen, you're looking at the outward. You're looking at the surface. You're looking at the tree, and it looks as if the tree might come down because the wind is so strong. When we, we know this, don't we? When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed before the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, it doesn't stop. It doesn't end. That's not it. It's actually the beginning. Our Father's full giving has only begun. How often did Paul say there were times when it seemed as if it was all over? I died, as it were. Yet, at that point of death, when he'd come to the end of his own resources... He then tapped into the immeasurable power of Jesus Christ. And from the ashes of seeming defeats, he rose as a phoenix to newness of life and service. That's Christianity for you. Our Father's full giving has only begun. And the chorus is brilliant, isn't it? His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto men. The word impossible doesn't come into the vocabulary of the Christian because if it was up to us, yes, that would be the case. But is anything too hard for the Lord? With God, nothing shall be impossible. Have you learned or are you learning this lesson in the school of Christ? Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary in China, 19th century. And when he first went there, after a few years, he came back completely disillusioned because he'd run out of his own resources. He, he was on the beach at Brighton one Sunday morning. He couldn't cope with going to church, couldn't cope with being in a congregation, singing the praises of God. He'd come to the end of his own resources. And that's when some words that somebody wrote to him came to him. I think it was then. It is not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one. And what he did on that beach was roll over his burdens to the Savior. 
all the care for the work in China, which he had taken upon himself, and it was too much for him, he simply gave over to the Saviour. And he was tapping in to the Lord's resources. And he went back to China, and he started the China Inland Mission. Oh, can you see how God works? He brings us to the end, the end of our systems, the end of uh, our uh, tapping into uh, all the strength we think that we have. And when we have nowhere else to turn to, we look to Christ, and Christ's resources are so great that we are weak, but we are strong in him. Well, I think this is an amazing lesson to learn. What did Amy Carmichael say, another missionary, uh, this time in South India? What's the lesson here? Famous words, in acceptance cometh peace. In acceptance cometh peace. Uh, well, let me, as I come to an end, a uh, quote here uh, from Tozer, whom I've been indebted to. You know, what stops us from learning this lesson of Christ's power? What stops us? I think our problem often, and it's a hindrance, is we've still got too many things, haven't we? We've got too many resources. It's like those missionaries from China visiting the United States in the 20th century and being shown round the evangelical churches and being asked, what do you think of evangelicalism? And the Chinese said, well, we are impressed with how much one can do without the Holy Spirit. You see, that's our danger. What, 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 what did Tozer say? He put it like this. It's things, things that get in the way of tapping into Christ. They're blockages. And Tosa says, it is not that God does not want us to have things, but he does not want things to have us. Oh, God has blessed us in this church with many gifts. Uh, we're so grateful, aren't we, for all that we can do. And we should not, we should not despise things. But this is the key. These things are given from God so that in his power we can serve him. There's a famous sermon by Paris Reedhead and he uses this illustration of the car. And he says, as Christians, you often want to be the driver, the front seats that's where you want to be uh, grabbing the steering wheel we want to be in control of our life but God often teaches us in the school of providence and in terms of this lesson of the power of Christ he's teaching us where not to be at the steering wheel not not to be in the passenger seat either you know what passenger seat drivers are like <laughs> no, no. Do you know where God wants us to be? This is what Paris Reedhead says in his sermon. He wants you to be in the boot. <laughs> and he wants you to give the key to God and to say to God, God, I'm no longer in charge. 
I'm not going to say to you where you should drive the car. I want you to drive this car wherever you want. I'm happy to be in the boots as long as I'm with you. That's the key, to have Christ's presence with us. In prison, Paul did not care about anything else. He could relax in prison because he had Christ with him. And how many Christians have borne the same testimony? Uh, Those who were imprisoned during uh, communism. They would say that their prison cells became a palace, became an anteroom to heaven because they had the known and felt presence of Christ. Christ's presence can transform a prison into a palace. And without Christ, a palace can be a prison. Let me finish by quoting a bit of Tozer and then a hymn which we sang last week. Refuse to leave yourself and your future. And we're thinking of all of us now, right? Refuse to leave yourself and your future in the hands of men. Seek advice, take counsel, work with people, but have a secret understanding with God. And pray this, O Lord God, Thou art my all. You are my everything. Can you say that? Can I say it? Thou art my tomorrow, as thou art my yesterday and today. You are my tomorrow, you are my yesterday, you are my today. Thou art my here and my there, my now and my then. Thou art all in all to me. Time and space converge upon thee, living in the eternal now. All that I have or ever hope to be is thine. And Tozer says, you know, that works within a life. It gets within a life and works like a holy east within your spirits, causing us to rise. Oh, 2021. Don't you want to resolve by God's enabling to put to death the weed of discontent, however it may show itself, and to know the beautiful flower, to find the beautiful jewel of Christian contentment. That in the school of Christ, we would be good pupils, and we will remember that the future, whatever may happen, is as bright as the promises of God. May people come to our little church and may they see in us ordinary people, yes, but people who have found the rare jewel of Christian contentment for his name's sake.